0: My soul will remain restless until it rests in you. These words confessed by St. Augustine have echoed across the centuries and remain a common thread to reverts and converts alike. These are the testimonies of those that have come to rest in the fullness of truth. This is Catholic Recon
1: with your host, Eddie Trask. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give
0: us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.
1: Amen. Amen. Polycarp, pray for us. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, Eric um welcome to the program thank you it's it's great to see you and for everyone watching listening eric robinson is an author a speaker a creative entrepreneur what i love here on one of his websites is he's on a mission to draw all people into full communion with the catholic church and to set catholics on fire with the gospel of jesus christ through prayer teaching and works of mercy and his most recent book we're gonna just start here this is this is so (laughs) cool to me and in fact eric i forgot to tell you or maybe you already did this but you need to give mike uh mike a copy mike weiser do you remember
0: okay yes i I gave him a copy okay you
1: did you tracked
0: me down and i i I got a new order in so i I gave him a copy
1: we were laughing about that you popped into his office and you're like (laughs) here here eddie and then you walked out and he's like, hey, where's my coffee? Anyway, uh, Uchoa Tree, this, I'll let you discuss it. And when this came out and just the, the genesis of it. And for all of my watchers, listeners, you guys need to go to eucoetry.com and take a look at how beautiful this is presented. But go ahead. Sure. So this is
0: over. Three and a half years, really, uh, in the making. So what happened was I was in adoration, Eucharistic adoration, where uh, you know Catholics adore Our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. Um, in this case, He was exposed in the monstrance, so I could see Our Lord in the Eucharist. And I was adoring Him, and I just felt inspired by the Spirit to to write a poem about the Eucharist while in the presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And I thought, Wow, what an amazing thing! What if what if other people would want to do something similar? What if they would want to write like a Eucharistic poem? And I thought of like Eucharistic poetry. Oh, poetry that'd be kind of cool to have like a whole movement of poetry called poetry and inspire other people to write Eucharistic poems. And uh, what would that be like to see like tons of poems from people around the world that were written in the presence of Jesus Christ? And furthermore, like what would happen if people that weren't Catholic saw these poems and were struck by the beauty of them and felt drawn to encounter our Lord in the Eucharist as well in the Catholic church. And so I basically the next year wrote a hundred poems and those are the hundred poems that are in that book. And then I started that website, youcoetry.com to hopefully get more people um, submitting poems that they write in the presence of Christ. But I knew it really wouldn't um, take off until I actually got my first hundred poems out there. And so I just um, self-published that book on Amazon about a month and a half ago. And um, beforehand, though, it took me so long because I've had a lot of life changes in the last three and a half years, Uh, moving to Colorado, meeting my wife, getting married, having a baby, all these things, which are amazing. And um, also for this book, I really want to go through what's called the imprimatur process. So I... Submitted my work to the Archdiocese of Denver, and Dr. Lillis gave his Nihil Obstat, which means there's no, <clears throat> excuse me, no obstacle to the Catholic Church's teaching. And then he gave that to the Archbishop. And so he gave his official stamp of approval. So it's theologically sound. And I'm a little bit of a theological nerd, so I really appreciated that. And uh, and so really the hope though is to inspire other people to write poems. So I actually labeled this volume one with a confident hope that people would submit poems, Eucharistic poems. And so volume two, volume three, volume four, would mainly be other people's poems that they wrote in the presence of Jesus Christ. And uh, my parish actually here in town in Denver is going to be distributing my book to all of our parishioners uh, for the Feast of Corpus Christi this year to launch the Eucharistic Revival, the parish year of the Eucharistic Revival. And I told Father Daniel, my pastor, I was like, listen, if 500 people just wrote one poem that's five more volumes of euchoetry if they wrote one poem a month that would be 60 volumes of poetry we're talking about eucharistic poems that could be generations uh for for generations to come and so i'm excited to see what the holy spirit does with this but uh that, that's my
1: little little spiel No, poem. i i really appreciate but, it you've got it. The idea is fantastic. Um, I love also the dedication page dedicated to those who have spent countless hours adoring Jesus Christ in the blessed sacrament. May your faith and devotion spread like wildfire throughout the whole world. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay. So, Eric, you were not
0: raised Catholic. I was deprived of the Eucharist for 27 years of my life, Eddie.
1: (laughs) Didn't even know about it.
0: Is that, for so is that, long.
1: For so long, yeah. So how are you? Yeah. Uh, what what um faith background were you raised in? So I was raised
0: non-denominational, which really means Baptist. <laughs> uh so Baptist-based, but I was kind of also a mix of things. Like I was baptized in first grade in the Presbyterian church. Um, so was baptized in first grade. Really, in elementary school, I was a little insecure about my relationship with Christ. I always felt like I had to pray to receive Jesus in my heart every time I used the restroom. A really silly thing. But I was just like, oh, I'm so insecure. I just need Jesus. And, um, but it was really still my parents' faith, even though I had something going on there. Uh, but in fifth grade, I was at a summer camp, and saw so a skid of the crucifixion. And that's really where I decided to follow Jesus and not just have my parents faith, but to make it my own. Um, but yeah, grew up non-denominational, went to a mega church in Texas. Uh, that's where I grew up in Texas and a Methodist youth group and a Baptist youth group as well. So kind of those three things. Then I, uh, in college, became part of a, a reformed Baptist church. And then part of a house church community that was super charismatic. And then eventually uh, came knocking on St. Peter's door. But yeah, kind of a, I, I kind of ran the gamut with with Protestantism and took the personal relationship with Jesus Christ to its logical conclusion. So I ended up after college doing a discipleship training school at a charismatic non-denominational church. But after that, I really just spent time alone with God on Sundays. Didn't even go to church. Just was like, you know, why, why should I go to church? You know, if... If it's about community, I already have Christian community in my daily life. Like I have great friends that encourage me, and I encourage them in our walks with God. If it's about worship music and praising God that way, I have my little iPod that I could, you know, sing praise to God through. And if it's about someone's sermon, well, I can listen to that on my iPod too. So why should I go? And it was in 2013, actually, it was 2012 when I started really asking those questions and the word communion flashed before my eyes. And I was like, that's weird. I don't really think about communion. And uh, sure enough, the first time I ever heard the word Eucharist was in college. I had some Catholic friends that told me something about the Eucharist, but it went in one year and out the other. And so I really didn't hear about the Eucharist essentially until 2013. And so a year after I heard that word communion or saw that flash before my eyes, met my friend Ethan, um, and Ethan was one of my biggest influences on me becoming Catholic, and he wasn't even Catholic at the time. In fact, through a lot of personal circumstances, I ended up becoming a sponsor into the Catholic Church. Um, but we influenced each other to become Catholic. And um, he uh, one of the reasons why I became part of that charismatic house church in college is because I really want to be part of the church that I saw in the book of Acts. All those miracles and just the fire of the Holy Spirit and all of that. And uh, my friend said something to me that will always stick with me. He said, Eric, I know your heart burns to be part of the early church, but I think I found it. It still exists. I was like, what? (laughs) What does that mean? And he told me about apostolic succession and got me on the early church fathers and their writings. And then he encouraged me to read the catechism of the Catholic church. And I was just blown away. And I was like, Oh, my goodness. And they're talking about this thing called the Eucharist, like the same of Antioch, a disciple of the Apostle John talking about the Eucharist being the body and blood of Christ, the flesh and blood of Christ. I was like, I've never even heard of this. And they're talking about submission to a bishop. I honestly had not. I didn't know what a bishop was. I thought like I had heard the word from chess chess game, but I didn't know what it was. And I was like, what is a bishop? And I obviously should be submitting to the bishop because that's what Ignatius of Antioch is saying. So that's a little bit more than you asked for, but... No, uh...
1: that's good. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Uh, Some bishops move diagonally only. So that's that's interesting. Yeah. Um, (laughs) uh, So what fascinates me is all the movement. So I've interviewed a lot of people that have, um, when they were remaining Protestant, they they would not say that they were necessarily looking... For something, they just were hopping around. Maybe, maybe they were looking for community, or, or uh maybe there was an experience at their original church that frustrated them. What was it that caused some of the other moves? Or did you just say, "I'm not moving around. I'm just this is all an expression of Christianity"? Do you know how you felt when you would just ch- and then to go from Baptist youth group, Methodist youth group, etc.
0: Yeah, I mean, in high school, and middle school, it's kind of like you go where your friends are, is more more the case. The biggest spiritual influence on my life growing up wasn't the churches I went to. It was summer camp. And so every year I would go to summer camp and get just on fire for my faith and then come back and fall into sin and then lose, like, lose that fervor a little bit. Uh, but then in high school, I really found some great friends that... Um, really we encourage each other in our faith. And, um, and so they just happened to be going to all these different youth groups as well. So we kind of all just did it together. And so it's more about the friendships that I had than the actual, and I didn't really think about or know any differences between these denominations. Yeah. Um, but in in college as well, like I joined a Christian fraternity called brothers under Christ at the university of Texas, alpha chapter. No big deal. Um, but uh, anyway, I joined them. And then like 80% of those guys go to this church called the Austin Stone Community Church, which is this Reformed Baptist church that's very popular. And so I just kind of joined that because that's where most of my friends went. But really the changing point for me and church experience, when I finally like started deciding, I guess you could say almost on my own, was going from that expression to a house church setting, and uh, where it was just like a small community of people. Basically, how it started was there was these two girls on campus that somehow I got connected with, and they had just gotten back from a mission trip to India, and I had gotten back from a mission trip to Nepal, and just had all these ideas of discipling people and all and all these things and wanting revival on. The university of Texas campus. And they said, Hey, we have decided we're going to pray every night in the prayer room on campus for two hours. And I was like, you girls are crazy. I've never prayed more than 10 minutes in my life, <laughs> two hours. And, uh, and so I just started praying with them and with this group. And then it kind of snowballed from there. And so I left that, uh, reformed Baptist church and just joined that kind of prayer community for like a year and a half before, um, Go, moving away from college and going to the discipleship training school. So it was really a matter of my journey of faith. Of At that point, like I felt like I, I knew the Father pretty well. I knew Jesus Christ pretty well, but I didn't know the Holy Spirit very well. So I wanted to get to know him. So I started asking the Lord to reveal his Holy Spirit to me. And that's what led to that group and then um, that expression. But once again, the heartbeat behind that was... Wow, I want to live into the book of Acts, which I had no idea that that would lead me to the Catholic Church. My perception of the Catholic Church was that it was an empty religion that didn't believe in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I even remember going to the Vatican as a Protestant back in 2012, or actually that was 2011, for one day. I just visited Rome for one day on my way to Albania, and uh, I remember going to St. Peter's and be like... such an empty religion if only they knew about jesus mm. it's like wow i was so stupid like, like i had no idea i it was just the prejudice i grew up in texas it's the bible belt like i wasn't told that catholics were i mean i was told actually one time at a at a bible church that we need to evangelize catholics because they weren't real christians so i did, but even then i didn't believe that sure um but still i i did think it was like an empty ritualistic religion and didn't even give it the time of day um until my friend Ethan uh, and, and our conversations later on.
1: Well, th- so that's, that's really good to know. So did you have, because of that, did you have much opposition as you were reading the early church authors? Were you already at that point thinking of the Catholic church? Maybe you did allude to that, but was there anything in you that was saying this can't, it can't be the Catholic church. We've heard, I've heard that from a lot of people like I'm seeing things pretty clearly but there's no way it can be the catholic church or was it but easier
0: than it's it's very similar similar to that in the sense of like it's like can anything good come from nazareth it's like can anything good come from the catholic church like that was kind of the attitude right and the answer to both of those is yes jesus christ (laughs) um and so i think actually having a bit of a charismatic background opened me up to first of all open me up to the mystery of the eucharist because i believed in miracles believed that god could do great things um and then also even that emphasis on just wanting to follow the lord wherever he led you know it's like lord i don't i don't see how i don't see the catholic church in this picture but i'm open to you to lead me here um, if this is what you want. And um, one of the first thoughts I had that really kind of was the watershed moment that really opened my eyes to the early fathers. And one reason why my friend encouraged me to read them and why I wanted to read them is because I thought to myself, you know, I'm a 21st century American. How on earth do I actually know what the Bible means? How do I know how to interpret the Bible? I was like, you know, I should go back to the earliest Christians. They would probably know how to interpret it better than myself. And so then reading them, I think having that thought beforehand really opened me to say, I'm I'm ready to learn. Yeah. And um, but I also am like, wow, I had no idea that it was like Catholic. I I just assumed like most Protestants perhaps, or at least in my world that assume that, you know really the you go from the Bible and this awesome experience of the gospel and then you just like fast forward two thousand years and now we get to live into that. And you just ignore like two thousand years of history. And you don't think you think at some point the Catholic Church like corrupted the gospel somewhere along the way and maybe Luther or the reformers like brought it back or whatever. Um I wasn't even like super into that or the history. I just didn't know anything. Yeah. About the history of Christianity. Um, but once again, the charismatic side kind of like if you think you can hear God's voice and God doesn't contradict himself, then surely God's spoken to people before you. And if he doesn't contradict himself and he speaks to people before you, they came before you, then well, it would follow that there would be this maybe a line of thought that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to the church. For the last 2000 years unbroken and lo and behold we we have that in the catholic church which is amazing that's um,
1: that's really good yeah if if he can speak to me he spoke to those before me <laughs> right and 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 that's some something that i came to as well uh which is just okay now apart from some type of continuity what is christianity at that point and that really messed with me for a little bit. Like what, what are we dealing with here? Anyway, uh, what's fascinating as well is, um, to go from a reformed background. I know you weren't there for a long time, uh, -hmm. into the charismatic background because of, um, from my understanding, a big cessationist, uh, ideal, um, or belief system in, in reformed camps versus the continuationist um, so in other words, when you speak to miracles, when you speak to gifts of the Holy spirit, things like that, that shift for a lot of people is quite, I don't want to say it's difficult. It's I guess eye-opening. and the people, not that not just that I've interviewed people that I've uh, watched on YouTube as well. And heard podcasts when you are in that charismatic group, a lot of people, Protestant charismatics, There is, you touched on it, there's something happening in their heart that is leaning more towards surrender and willing to look, and willing to investigate the early church without bias. That's not, Mm -hmm. I, I hate to generalize, but I've seen that aspect where they've said, I want to return to the early church, but they're not going necessarily to the early church wearing their Protestant hats. Right, that's what I'm trying to say, and that I think was your
0: yeah. Experience. And I mean, I was part of a, a reformed Baptist church, so it's a little nuanced.
1: With oh yeah, that's for a good instance, point. they
0: don't do infant baptism, but they're super into Calvin, yeah, and predestination and all of that. Yeah, um, they yeah. We didn't really talk about the gifts of the Spirit in that in that church or ecclesial community, I should say. Yeah. Um, but you know, yeah. So that was a big. That was a big moment when I first experienced like these gifts of the spirit. That I was like, oh, whoa! Like, where did this come from? And and then that was really eye opening to reading the scriptures. Like, I mean, Jesus sent his disciples to proclaim that the kingdom of God is near, to heal the sick, cast out demons, cleanse lepers, raise the dead. Like, um, and then obviously all the miracles that you see in the book of Acts. But that was something that's really eye opening when looking at the fathers, it kind of confirmed my decision to, or not decision, but just like my, it confirmed my experiences as a charismatic was, uh, wow, like this is actually unbroken. Like my patron saint, St. Polycarp, he has visions and, and pro- prophetic dreams in his testimony of his martyrdom. He, he literally sees a few days before that he will be burned with fire. And, um and so he had this unbroken chain of, the miraculous in the in the Catholic Church as well. Like you look at even recent saints like Saint Padre Pio or um, other saints like Saint Philip Neri, or you know, a lot of the saints that have gone before us like are experiencing these very miraculous things. So the charismatic is just a normal part of the Church that's been happening for for two thousand years, and uh, and so that definitely goes against that cessationist. Yeah. perspective when it's like well there's also an unbroken chain of the miraculous like the spirit didn't just like jesus said that we could do greater greater things than him because he's going to send the advocate um obviously there's no greater miracle than the the miracle of the eucharist and from which all the other miracles really flow because
1: that's jesus christ himself well well said now have you had the objection um and then we'll get into what the you know, actual experiences once you entered the church. But um, have you had the objection, hey, that's great, early church fathers, um, they could have been wrong in their interpretations. Have you ever heard something like that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think at that point, you know, if they're wrong, then who's right? Like, if they got wrong, then, I mean, and this is like, to me, the biggest, argument for the Catholic church. And this is something, so something I didn't mention. One of my big highlights of my life is that three years after I became Catholic, so I became Catholic eight years ago, three years afterwards, my parents became Catholic. And on their journey, I remember I had so many walks and talks with my dad and my mom, but I'm especially thinking about my dad and I, you know, it kind of came down to like, listen, if you think the Eucharist is symbolic, if you think John 6, it's just symbolic, then literally all the saints that have gone before you would disagree with you. Like all of the saints. Like, like, are you smarter than Saint Thomas Aquinas? Are you smarter than Saint Augustine? Are you smarter than like the not even smarter? Are you are you more wise than or do you know more than Saint Natius of Antioch, who is discipled by the Apostle John? Like it that to me they could have had it wrong. It's like, yeah, and, and maybe the world is flat. Like, I mean, it's just like so silly to think that. Like, Jesus himself said that the Holy Spirit would come and guide them into all truth. So if you think that early Christians are wrong, then was Jesus wrong when he said that? Was Jesus wrong? Did the early apostles fail to do what Jesus had commanded them in the Great Commission, to teach others all that I have observed and commanded you? So if they were wrong, then that means the apostles failed in their mission, or maybe it even means that Jesus himself was wrong in saying that the Holy Spirit would guide you into all truth, which is very problematic. So I think if they're wrong, then all Christianity, all denominations fall apart at that moment. So that right. would be more of an argument towards atheism than than. Uh, christianity
1: great 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 response um so what was rcia like so then what year with 2014
0: 2015 you were saying? yep yep yeah so entered RCIA, and i i entered about 50 50 as to whether i was going to join this is about after a year's worth of reading the fathers reading the catechism uh having discussions with my friend ethan but i was still like very much afraid that i would be led astray I didn't want to be deceived. I was like, I've heard, you know, I've heard theories of like Constantine changing things and, you know, it's pagan, and like all these things. So I was like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put together an email list. And I had about 30 people, mentors, mainly, I mean, all of them actually were Protestant because that was my background. I didn't know any Catholics. I mean, I had those two friends in college, but they weren't even like my best friends. So I didn't keep in touch with them after college. Um, so anyway, I put this email list together, three, like 30, 30 mentors and leaders in the Protestant world that really helped me in my spiritual growth, including my camp director and like other people like that. And so I just started emailing them updates, like, Hey, I'm, I want feedback because I don't want to be led astray. Um, and so I would just tell them like, Hey, here's what I'm learning this week in RCIA. What was crazy is that out of those 30 people, only one person pushed back and was like, Hey, I think you're going the wrong way. And she had this theory about Constantine and all that. And so I, I actually took her argument seriously and looked into that and was like, well, but that's not true actually, because there were bishops before Constantine. And there was their early, early churches talking about the Eucharist. They're talking about all these things way before Constantine. So he did not did not invent the Catholic Church. Um but anyway, what was surprising is that ninety five percent of those people were like think you're on the right track like actually one of them did revert back to the catholic faith he he was an ex-catholic and he became catholic a little bit later Um, one of them almost became catholic i don't know actually the status of him my old camp director Um, but either way like what was surprising is that they were very supportive but I still had a huge hang up with uh, the biggest hang up that is so common among Protestants um, is the Blessed Virgin Mary. But my sponsor into the church, who happened to be the RCA director, he gave me this little apologetics book on Mary. Um, I think it's by San Jose Press or something okay. like that. But uh, it's a, I love those little apologetics books. I wish I <clears throat> had the name off the top of my head, but. Basically, it showed where Mary was in scripture, which as a Bible-believing Protestant, that was very important to me. And that was a huge thing that blew my mind is typology. It's as if I had never read the Bible before. And I had read the Bible every year since like middle school, uh, early high school, year after year, just reading through the Bible. But when I learned about typology, where the Old Testament Figures and events are, are types for their New Testament fulfillments. Like Jesus, and Paul even says this, like Jesus is the new Adam, right? Adam was a type of Christ. He was foreshadowing um, Christ. And so the early church, like St. Irenaeus, talks about Mary as the new Eve. And I was like, whoa. But what really blew me away is not only she's the new Eve and she's the new queen mother, but what really blew me away was that she's the new Ark of the Covenant, yeah and i saw how much the ancient israelites honored the old ark of the covenant so how much more are we to honor this new ark of the covenant that had god in, in the flesh in within her in the tabernacle of her body and uh so that and once that piece like clicked i was like i'm 100% in and it wasn't just an intellectual in it was like i'm i'm 100% intellectually in but i'm also 100% emotionally and and like all I'm just all in spiritually like I'm just like boom and so it was like six months later when I joined RCA that I was like I'm definitely becoming Catholic and um, and actually became Catholic on my 27th birthday because I was Easter vigil
1: that year which was pretty cool that's pretty cool wow and so what was so you're on fire leading up to it what was can you describe the first, that vigil mass and then the first few months that followed and and how your faith, I guess, developed once those barriers were gone? Because once those barriers are gone, the barriers that remain are, it's like a war against yourself yeah. and, you know, just working out your salvation at that point.
0: Right. I think yeah. Um, the one barrier that I, that lingered was actually, even though like I believed in what the church taught about the blessed virgin mary i wasn't ready to like just start praying the rosary or praying hail mary's yeah i was still a little like uncomfortable with that so it wasn't until a year later when i was going through a little bit of a difficult time that i started praying a daily rosary and then just fell in love with the rosary with the blessed mother and then consecrated my life the next year um to the blessed mother so that i could uh better worship jesus christ and the father and the Holy Spirit, um, because her soul magnifies the Lord. So anyway, uh, you know, my priest that was my spiritual director, um, like I, well, I met him like a few weeks later and I, uh, he was like, wow, you have like a Eucharistic glow about you. Um, so after I first received the Eucharist, like uh, it was a few weeks later where I met this priest and He's like, man, you still have that Eucharistic glow. He's like, that's cool. And then my friend Ethan, who, uh, once again, he actually ended up becoming Catholic a year after me, uh, mainly due to some personal circumstances there. But he was like, man, you're you're much more bold in your witness. And I was like, well, I guess that makes sense because I've just been confirmed, (laughs) which is a strengthening of the Holy Spirit to be a bold witness of the gospel. That's what confirmation is. And I was like very affirmed in that, like, wow, like I, it's just like, I wasn't trying hard. It was just like coming out like this, like, no, this is the truth. Like, this is, this is just what it is. And, um, and so I think those were some of the immediate fruits that people around me noticed. And, uh, and then to me, just, I remember receiving the Eucharist that I think it was that, that, I mean, the first time, I mean, every Easter vigil is amazing. It was like a four-hour mass, and uh, even two of my best Protestant friends came actually wow. um, and supported me in that, and uh, which was really really neat. And um, but yeah, receiving the Eucharist, and then just thinking back at my story and just how like just five years before I had gone through a tough time, and instead of experiencing that now, like the Lord had given me, He's given me Himself in the Eucharist and. It was about six years or about five years back. No, it was about four years before that, where I remember I was in my discipleship training school and I was laying in bed and I was just praying like, Lord, I want to be best friends with you. I want to be as best friends with you as I possibly can on this face of the earth. And to me, when I received the Eucharist, it was a fulfillment of that prayer. Wow. Like at last, like he's given me, his whole self in the Eucharist, and the intimacy that I longed for as a Protestant, all the graces that I had ever received from being charismatic, from being reformed, from being Methodist, and like all these things, all of those graces now found their fulfillment in this participation of Christ in the Eucharist, in this amazing intimacy. And I was like, at last, like, I'm experiencing deep and beautiful being best friends in Jesus Christ, which is obviously an ongoing journey. Yeah. And I hope that I continue to grow in my friendship with Christ. But that was a pivotal time. I remember being like, this is he answered my prayer. He's answering. Me.
1: This is amazing. Wow, man, I'm just so happy to hear that. And then your parents coming into the church a few years later, um, that must have been so beautiful for you. And right. And, and well, here's a question. Maybe one day they'll be on the show. Who knows? But uh, I will ask from your perspective, um, did that surprise you? Or were you? When they
0: became Catholic? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or did you say, hey, uh, they they had been saying enough that made it so like, did it seem natural? Were you just shocked? How, how did that strike you?
0: Yeah. I mean, so my parents were in RCA for 15 months because my dad joked that it took a lot to get 69 years of Protestantism out of him. (laughs) So they took the long path. Um, So, you know, it's interesting. Like, it's... uh, Interestingly enough, right after I became Catholic, I moved to Houston for work. And so I first began my own Catholic life in Houston, which was, like, about four hours away from my parents in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And so they do... You know, I, I influence, obviously, the Holy Spirit's the author of conversion, so he's the one that's at fault here for their conversion. Um, but we would have discussions, and on when I was on my journey, <clears throat> doing that email list, updating people what I was learning, my, my dad and my mom were on that email list as well, and we were, you know, in close proximity at the time. I was, like, living really uh, near them uh, during that time. and so whenever I was learning something, I would just share it with them. Like I, this is what I found. Like, and so that really stirred their curiosity. My dad more so than my mom, but they finally decided like, okay, we'll, we'll give this RCA thing a shot. You know, my dad was like, I'm, I'm kind of interested. Like, we'll see. My mom was more like, I just want to make sure my son's not in some sort of cult, but I have no intention of becoming Catholic. Well, well, they end up, you know, they have a great priest who's very gentle and kind and patient with them. And um, they have, there's a great community there at the at that parish that really welcomed them. And uh, they just wrestled with it. Like for every person, and I'm sure you've heard this on your show, there's some things that are similar. Like for me, it was the Blessed Virgin Mary. My mom never struggled with her. My dad didn't really struggle with the Blessed Virgin Mary my dad really struggled with the Eucharist and like the reality of that, but it looks like bread and wine, but you're saying it's Jesus. Um, and so that he had to wrestle with that. And then, um, and that was less of a struggle for me because of my charismatic sure. background. And, you know, and then for, but for my mom, the big thing was um, the papacy and like specifically like the modern popes. Um, and so we had to work through, through that. But interestingly enough, My mom actually uh, was like, okay, I just need to make a decision. Lord, if you want me to be Catholic, and this was like December 2017, I think it was, um, that she was like, Lord, if you want me to become Catholic, send me a sign. And she, like in her bathroom, like right after she prayed that looked up and was like amazed because in the tile for the first time, she had never noticed this it looked like the blessed Virgin Mary holding baby Jesus in her tile in the bathroom. And she was like, I'm becoming Catholic. Oh, that like, is awesome. Yeah. And she'll like, to this day, like when people come over, she'll point out there's the blessed Virgin.
1: Oh my god And it does look
0: like the blessed Virgin Mary holding Jesus. And, um, and so that was just kind of a stamp of like, yeah, Hey, you're on the, you're on the right track. You're, you're doing well. My dad was already like, he really wanted to become Catholic by then. Cause he had, you know, wrestled with the question of the Eucharist and was convicted, like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. You really wrestled with that. As like, I need him in the Eucharist. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, a lot of people describe and, that yeah.
1: that pillar falls and like, oh, now everything else is in yeah. order. Yeah.
0: And for both of us, like, to me, what's even more fundamental is authority. Like, who has the authority to say, what is church teaching? What isn't? Like, when you get that authority piece, it like, that's when everything comes together and my dad is a very humble man and i think it does require a a significant amount of humility to just say you know maybe i didn't have it right lord if this is what you want like i'm open and to have that sort of humility is really i think that's you know god opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble and so he
1: he did and 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 it was your dad that said you know 69 years of protestant thought, right? That's very right. real. That's real for people that have tuned into, you know, Journey Home this program, other programs like I'm stuck in my ways, what what do you want me to do? And so our prayer has been, well, yeah, it's not easy. None of it is. Um but it's it's not even easy. There are people that are in their early 20s that 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 have trouble. So at every step, it's good to let people know Yeah, it's not easy opening your heart completely (laughs) or what we know to be, you know, with our limitations, our very real limitations. But opening up and saying, God, show me what you want me to do. It's not easy for anyone. Right. So I just like to encourage people that might be in their 70s, their 80s. um, It's certainly worth investigating and coming at it. As I was saying earlier about the charismatic groups, a lot of them will go to the early church with less bias than you would right. than you would expect, and I think that shows humility as well. Yeah.
0: And all Christians are called to submit their wills to the Father's will and have their wills conformed to Christ's will. And so, like we pray that in the Our Father, you know, not my will, but Your will be, or <clears throat> Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, not my will but your will father and so like every christian is called to surrender their will to the to god yeah and god does will the salvation of everyone he wants that we have to re- respond to his desire um and and so and the church the catholic church teaches very clearly that all who are christian in some sort of way should be fully incorporated into the Catholic Church because this is okay. the church Jesus started and sustains with his presence. And so, you know, it is God's will to come into the into the full community of the Catholic Church. It might take some time to wrestle with that and to you know realize that. Yeah. But once you realize that it's like, oh well this is just the Christian life. Like if this is God's will then I'll do it. You know? Amen. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So maybe you can end with discussing uh, the process of getting books going and, and just evangelization and some of what you did with podcasting and things like that. And sure. um, yeah, I guess the genesis of that and where where it currently stands. I know we led with eukotry, but go ahead and talk about anything else that, that sure. came from
0: that. So I think, um, and this is even way back, it's just always been a in me like a gift from god to be an evangelist i remember in he was in fourth or fifth grade we were in england and we were at speaker's corner which is this place in london where people can just stand on a soapbox and preach whatever they want so you have muslims there you have christians there you have there's a guy there that i remember a christian atheist and um he was (laughs) Who, I don't even remember what exactly he was talking about. But he identifies a Christian atheist, which is so interesting. He's like, Jesus was a good teacher, but there really wasn't a God. And I it, and we had this recorded actually on video, just like, listen, mister, if you don't believe in Jesus, I was just like confused. I was like, if you don't believe Jesus is God, then you're going to hell. Like just straight up said that my little squeaky fourth grader voice <laughs> and these two men that were like witnessing this, like, it was like, a oh, little feature, Billy Graham there. And from that moment of like, you know, that was like a seed stone of like, I'm, I'm an evangelist. Like, I just can't help <laughs> but share with people. And, um, and that's been true, even in my Protestant background, like wanting people to come into a friendship with Christ and, and all of that. And so I say all this to say that, I never intended to write books or poetry or do a podcast. Like I, I'm not a podcaster. I don't view myself as an author or a poet. I view myself as an evangelist and I, someone who wants to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And so if I need to write books to do that, I'll do it. If I, or if the Lord inspires me to write books, I'll I'll do that. Or if he inspires me to write a poem, I'll do that. Like really even more than evangelists, like, Deeper than that is I'm friends with God. And so these things just come out of a friendship with God. And so if he inspires me to do a writing, I'll, I'll do that, even though I never intended to or never thought myself of that. Because a lot of people think, especially with the u- poetry, like, well, I'm not a poet. And I'm like, well, neither am I, actually. Yeah. Like, I'm a, I am just want to be friends with God. He inspired me to do this. I also want to bring people into full the Catholic Church because this is what God wants and he's my friend, and I want to do what my friend wants, and so I wrote poems, and so maybe you can treat it like, like a prayer, and you could write a prayer, so anyway, the first book I ever wrote, um, it just came, like, I, I really wanted to write a book, actually, but I was, like, I don't know what I'm gonna do, and just woke up one Saturday morning with, like, oh, this is what I should do, and the first book I wrote was uh, Thoughts of a Changed Mind, and so all, like, hundred plus chapters came into my mind that morning of just like letters from a father to a son on all the spiritual insights i had gained over my life that basically if I were to die tomorrow these are the things that God's taught me that I would want to pass on and including and that was actually I started writing right before I became Catholic but I was already 100% sure that I would become Catholic and then I even finished the writing after I become Catholic so what's cool is that it kind of captures my journey like that. Like I started writing before and then uh, finished writing after. And I do capture a little bit of why I became Catholic in that book. There's actually a section about that um, that are, is in letter form from from a, as if from a father to a son. And then the second book was Thoughts of a Sacramental Mind. And that one I'm actually wanting to revise a bit and and redo because I think it's really Powerful. I want to revise and submit that for imprimatur as well. Um, but basically, how that got inspired was my two nieces. Would they're still Baptists, and I knew that they would not receive real teaching about baptism. They think it's just symbolic. That it doesn't actually do anything. Um, that's just a outward sign of an inward faith. That it, it's uh, yeah, symbolic. Like uh, you, the big change happened when you receive Jesus in your heart through prayer as your personal Lord and Savior, and baptism doesn't really do anything, it's just kind of a nice capstone. I was like, Well, that's not true. Um, and actually this is crazy, but the youth minister that baptized them literally stood up in front of everyone and said, We all know that the Bible doesn't teach that baptism actually saves you. And I was like, actually, First Peter three twenty one explicitly says baptism now now saves saves you.
1: you. Yeah.
0: Um so you're wrong. I didn't stand up and say that because I didn't want to disrupt the Heretical service, and no, they didn't want to <laughs> disrupt the heresy that was happening. Um, fortunately, their baptisms are still valid, even though that's not the yeah the belief. But I wrote them each a letter about baptism, describing to, to them like, you know, hey, like you're now a pure bride of Christ. Like you, your sins are washed away in baptism. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and all of these things about what baptism actually does and i gave that to my sister cuz she's their you know yeah. her and uh, their father is their spiritual authority so i they had me tweak a couple things so i took those things out which ironically one of those things i took out was i think that verse in first peter 321. she's like i don't want that in there
1: um,
0: so i put it back in in the book though uh, so <laughs> i transformed one of the letters to be to a son and the other to a daughter And so I go through each of the seven sacraments. And so I'm talking about, and so I thought like, if I did this for baptism, I should do this for each of the sacraments. And really inspire people to like, something actually happens. It's not just symbolic. It actually is the power of God. Um, And so when I describe it to my son, like confirmation, I'll describe it differently to my daughter. But when you take them both together, you have a robust theology and inspiration about the sacrament of confirmation, let's say. And then I did bonus letters on devotion to Mary, um, so that was that book. And then the other two, um, Visible Unity, A Calling of Christ for the Church, which I blurred my screen out. <laughs> but uh, Visible Unity, A Calling of Christ for my church for the church was my senior or my thesis in grad school. I got my MA in theology from Holy Apostles College and Seminary, and so this was my thesis that was basically like why all christians should become catholic from a historical theological and evangelical point of view
1: are these all on amazon just so i know yep okay they're you all got, on amazon make sure you send the links so i can include them in the description but go sure. ahead yeah
0: and the last one was just uh essays in the deep which is just a collection of es- essays i wrote during grad school so i didn't want all that work to go to waste That's um awesome. and there's a lot of good topics in there about faith and reason and science and faith and how this all works together uh gender ideology and catholic church teaching um, protestant reformation or revolt um, exegesis on certain scriptures so lots of different variety there
1: um in that one you did a lot in a short period of time when when did you when did you graduate with the masters
0: so i i finished that summer of 2020 oh wow okay so yeah so people are like how did you do all this so well I had my first seven years of my career was in sales and I was living very frugally, very cheaply, but I was making a decent amount of money. And so I felt inspired in 2019 to leave that job, take that leap of faith. And it was my parents really conversion the previous year that really inspired me to like, I just got to do more. And so I just quit my job, started my podcast, Polycarp's Paradigm which I've since retired, but you can still hear the all 200 episodes on, uh, on Apple. And actually I think anywhere. Um, So did the podcast and wrote most of these things during a two year period of time. When I was finishing up grad school, writing books, doing my podcast. So I kind of self-funded my mission to draw people into full community, Catholic church. And then after grad school, uh, that's when I started looking for for jobs again, and uh, because I eventually needed to make some make some money again. But
1: uh, (laughs) Uh, that's fantastic. Thank you for all of that. What a fantastic story. Um, So, yeah, send the links. Everyone visit. Yeah, you'll see the links. You have a number of websites, I think, that are still active. Right. You have you poetry. That's the other thing. If yeah. you are listening and you feel inspired to write poetry, of, again, as you say, of any kind, you don't have to be a formal poet to do this. Um, just right. open your heart and you can submit these poems on that website. And I invite you to do so. Eric, is there anything else you want to add to to close well, the, the show?
0: Yeah, the key there is um, they just have to be poems about our Lord in the Eucharist and written in his presence in the Eucharist. Yep. And that's the key. Like if you just wrote it in your house, you know, it's, it's a great poem, but it's not euchoetry. You know, it's like, I want these to be written in the presence of Jesus Christ. Um, which, you know, as clo- a closing remark there is like, oh my goodness, why would you want to become Catholic? Because Jesus Christ is fully present in the Catholic Church, in in the Eucharist. And we can have 100% confidence that what appears as bread and wine actually is Christ's body, blood, soul, and divinity. All of the saints who have gone before us believed in that truth. It wasn't even questioned for the first 1,000 years of Christianity, really even the first 1,500. There were some minor skirmishes there, but in like the later 500 years. But Jesus Christ... um, like that that game set match like that's like if you if you believe in Jesus if you want to know Jesus then come into full communion with the Catholic Church um like i said the the theme throughout my whole life the theme that i want to continue to the day i die is friendship with god i just want to be best friends with god and i promise you that you will find that in the catholic church even though you might perceive the catholic church To be an empty religion, it is not. It is full of the power and glory of God. It is is where Jesus Christ and his incarnational presence still continues to be present to his church and fulfill his own promise that not just the Holy Spirit would, that he would send the Holy Spirit, but that also that he himself would be with us to the end of the age. And so may God be given the glory um, and, and may all of the listeners here. And grow in a deeper friendship with jesus christ especially through his presence in the eucharist in the catholic
1: church amen actually with that can you close us in a prayer
0: sure sure yeah, okay. let's do it in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen mm-hmm. heavenly father we thank you so much uh for eddie for our time together for all the listeners heavenly father we know that we just try to sow generously the word of God. But when we sow generously, we will reap generously. We want to see an abundant harvest of people to come into full community our Holy Catholic Church so that their gifts may be used uh, in the church, that they may come fully alive, that all the graces that they've ever received would flourish by receiving you in the Holy Eucharist. And we ask all of this through the intercession of the Blessed Mother who first interceded at the wedding feast at Cana and and told the servants to do whatever Jesus tells them. And so knowing this, we, we honor the Blessed Mother and ask for intercession, knowing that when we honor her, her soul magnifies the Lord and we give even greater worship and worship alone to God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So we pray, Hail Mary. Full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus.
1: Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen.
0: Amen. Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. God bless you. You're welcome. All right. Take care.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Catholic Recon please feel free to leave a comment. And remember to subscribe to the show wherever you listen. To find out more about Eddie Trask, go to www.eddietrask.com. May God bless you.